Hello, my name is David Fincher. I want to welcome you to Divine Deliberations. Today we're going to be asking a question that's most important. And that question is, is God okay with denominationalism? So is God okay with 30,000 plus denominations in the world? Is God okay with that? That's the question we're going to be talking about today on Divine Deliberations. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, before we get started, make sure that you hit the subscribe button, also the notification bell. That way you're notified every time we put up a new video. And even though we post every Friday, we also sometimes will come up with shorter videos during the week that deal with questions that still need to be answered in order to find and discover truth. Because that's what this is all about. That's what Divine Deliberations is all about. Discovering the truth, knowing the truth of Scripture. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to hit the notification bell. That way, you are notified every time that we post a new video. So, is God okay with all the different denominations of the world? Is God okay with that? Well, again, for us to find the answer to that question, we have to go back to Scripture. Because the Scriptures are adequate. Paul told Timothy, Study to show thyself approved, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He also said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the answer that we need is within the pages of Scripture. Is God okay with all these different divisions, denominations, different churches? Is God okay with that? And so we need to answer that question with Scripture. First, just from a logical point of view, how many churches were there in the first century? I mean, were there all the different denominations in the first century? Well, of course not. I mean, Peter wasn't a Catholic, and John wasn't a Baptist, and James wasn't a Methodist, and so forth and so on. They were all part of one undenominational church. It wasn't divided by denominations, the creeds, the doctrines, and the commandments of men. So, does the Bible answer this question for us? Well, the answer to that question is yes, it does. It does. The Bible also puts great import on this question. Actually, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, and we don't know where, but somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stops and prays what is called the high priestly prayer of John, the 17th chapter. And in that, in that prayer... He prays for his disciples that God would uh, empower them, not take them out of the world, enable them, guide them, and continue with them in truth. But then he prays for you and me. Maybe you didn't know you were prayed for by Jesus, but you were. John, the 17th chapter, in verses 20 through 23, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe on me through their word that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Now that prayer, Jesus is actually praying for all of those who will believe on him through his disciples' words. That's us. And he didn't pray that we be divided into 30,000 plus different churches. He prayed that we all might be one. But yet, that prayer goes unanswered today. At least because of men. Because of our propensity to divide instead of unite. And that's a sad thing. But the question is, is God okay with denominationalism? Or is God okay with all these different churches? Well, first, right off the bat, John 17 indicates that Jesus, that wasn't what he wanted. It's not what he prayed for. He prayed that they all might be one. That everyone that believed in him might be one, might be unified. That they might actually have unity. And so we continue to consult the scriptures and listen to what Paul said as he wrote the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 10 through 13. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each one of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, right off the bat, you see an issue here that Paul's taking up. I mean, in the first chapter, as soon as he's done with his greeting and everything, immediately he goes to this the church being divided and taking different leaders. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. I sort of think that maybe Paul said sarcastically, and I of Christ. Because maybe he was trying to get across his point, but my, the, the point becomes clear. Division and the following of men is not acceptable to God. Actually, Paul would sort of jump up a rabbit and chase it for a couple of chapters. Preachers tend to do that sometime. But then he comes back to this argument in chapter 3 of that same book, and he says in verse 1 through verse 6, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for unto now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? 
And who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So Paul makes it clear here as he writes this church with so many different struggles that they're segregating into following different individuals and being divided. It's, it's wrong. He says it's completely wrong. And so what's interesting is, is today in the world, people don't say I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas, but they say I'm of Luther or I am of Calvin or I am of Smith or I am of Rome. And the church is divided. I mean, 30,000 plus different denominations at last count worldwide. When Jesus prayed the prayer that they all be one, all those who would believe on him through his disciples' words, the purpose of that unity was so that the world might believe. You want to know why the world doesn't believe as it should? You want to know why the message of Christ is hindered and hampered? It's because of our division. By our willingness to follow individuals or to practice the dogmas, doctrines, and the denominations of men. No. The answer to the question, God is not happy with the divisive nature of the church divided into all these different groups. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul would make this statement in verses 1 through 6. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now Paul actually is saying in the first century, as he writes the church at Ephesus, there's one Lord, one faith, one body. One body. There's not 30,000 different bodies. There's one body. There's one church. There was one church in the first century. And there's one church today. And what we need to do is go back to the simple teachings of the New Testament. I don't know if you've actually watched What Must I Do to Be Saved, Part 1 and Part 2, but in that couple of videos, I make clear the plan of salvation that's put forward within the New Testament. And it doesn't involve a sinner's prayer, and it doesn't involve praying through. It involves all the will of God regarding what you and I must do in order to be saved. Now, Paul would actually write the church at Galatia because Judaizers were coming in behind Paul and they were adding two steps to that plan of salvation. They were adding circumcision and keeping the law of Moses. You can cross-reference that to Acts the 15th chapter. They were actually saying unless you keep the law of Moses and are circumcised, you cannot be saved. They were actually adding to the plan of salvation that Paul and the other apostles had been preaching. It was actually the first doctrinal issue among the church of the first century. 
But Paul would write the churches of Galatia, and he would say, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Now this is interesting because this involves the plan of salvation. Now if you go back and you watch What Must I Do to Be Saved, Part 1 and Part 2, you'll absolutely notice that Paul preached that men must believe and they must repent and they must confess Christ and they must be baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. That's absolutely crystal clear within the pages of the New Testament. This faith only and sinner's prayer and all that, it's, it's not a part of the New Testament teaching in the first century church's teaching concerning the plan of salvation. It wasn't too long ago I actually had lunch with a denominational preacher who taught salvation by faith only. And I said to him that either you or I are going to go to hell. He looked at me and said, why in the world would you say something like that? And I quoted Galatians 1, 6 through 9. And I told him, I said, because you're preaching something different than Paul preached, or I'm preaching something different than Paul preached. You're teaching salvation by faith only, and people need to invite the Lord into their heart as their personal Lord and Savior. That's what you teach, and your church teaches. So if you're right and I'm wrong, I've added repentance, confession, and baptism. But if I'm right, taking into account the entirety of God's word, the totality of God's word, then you've taken away repentance, confession, and baptism. So one of us is preaching a different gospel than that which Paul preached in the first century. Now I'm convinced Paul preached faith. That's clear over and over again. But I'm also convinced he preached repentance, Acts the 17th chapter, 30 and 31. He also preached confession, Romans 10. And he also preached baptism, Romans 6, verses 1 through 3. So you may ask the question, what's your point? Well, my point is, is that all these different churches, a lot of them teach different plans of salvation. The majority of Protestant churches teach that salvation is by faith only. You need to pray a sinner's prayer, which, by the way, you can't find within the pages of Scripture. Some of them teach that you need to repent and believe. They actually teach that repentance comes in front of faith. You know why they do that? Because they put it after faith, then faith has to do something. It's not faith only anymore. And they're sold on faith only, so therefore they put repentance in front of faith, and actually say that you repent and believe. And my question is, is what makes you repent if you believe after you repent? What causes you to repent? What brings about the repentance? And they have a lot of silly illustrations. Some people teach that you have to pray through. And when you believe, you've got to pray and pray and pray and pray. And eventually you come to a point where your faith is big enough and you've prayed through and you feel salvation. Well, my point is, is that all these different churches teach a lot of different things regarding the plan of salvation, but the church in the first century taught one thing, 
one thing, and it becomes apparent throughout the pages of the New Testament, the plan of salvation that they taught. But yet today, in today's society, we have 30 different, 30,000 different denominations teaching all kinds of different plans of salvation. The commandments and the doctrines, the dogmas and the denominations of men. I'll remind you what Jesus said in Matthew, the 15th chapter, verses 7 through 9. Those individuals there were teaching their traditions. They were concerned about Jesus' disciples eating with unwashed hands. Jesus attacks their tradition and then says in verses 7 through 9, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, I don't know about you, but I would get a little nervous if I was a part of a church that had traditions and commandments of men that they put on the same level as the Word of God. Let me tell you something. There are all kinds of creeds, all kinds of doctrines, all kinds of councils and catechisms and all kinds of different denominational books and guides that tell the church that you're a part of what you believe. And I think it's ridiculous. We need to go back to the Bible. To have no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ, no law but love. That's what we need. Because the church of the first century was not divided like the church of the 21st century. And the Bible makes it absolutely clear that God wants us to be unified. He wants us to be unified, to find unity in Christ. Now, does that mean that, that we're going to see everything eye to eye? Well, no, that's not looking for that. But when it comes to what men must do to be saved, what they must do to stay saved, how they are to worship the Lord their God, I believe those things are important. Those are most important. Paul says, if any man preach any other gospel than that which we preach, let him be accursed. We have to be in agreement on what it takes to be saved, what it takes to stay saved, how we are to worship God. But there are lots of things that we can we can actually differ on. I mean, you may be premillennial and believe in a rapture and the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and all that stuff. I used to believe all that stuff, but then I ran into scriptures that just plain contradicted it. And maybe we'll make an actual segment on that regarding that topic. But I think you can be mistaken on the your view on the second coming of Christ and still go to heaven. Uh, we're not going to ever achieve perfect doctrinal unity on everything. That's just not going to happen. But when it comes to what the church is to do, when it comes to worship, how the church is to teach God's plan of salvation, those things, they're absolutely most important. The Word of God has to be first and foremost. It has to be the highest authority in everything regarding Christianity. And all that we have in the New Testament, the New Testament will tell us everything that we need to do in order to worship God acceptably, to teach and preach the gospel of Christ, to bring men to salvation. Sure, there's going to be differences on what color the walls are and 
whether we have stained glass or not. There's a lot of stuff that we can differ on that's not going to affect our salvation. But when it comes to the churches and division that exist today, where someone's saying, I'm of Calvin, and I'm of Luther, and I'm of Smith, and uh, it, it just gets ridiculous. And no, God's not happy with it. God's not happy with it at all. In the first century, there was one church. They all believed one thing. They taught the same thing, and the same thing needs to be true today in God's church. So we need to break free of the dogmas, doctrines, and the denominations of men and go back to the Bible, to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible's silent. In Colossians, the second chapter, in verse 8, Paul said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We would do well to heed that warning, to forsake the traditions of men and the commandments of men. Paul would warn not to give heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men that turn from the truth. Let's go back to the Bible. And as God's people, believers in Christ, people who have come to Christ and have obeyed the gospel and been born again, let's Go back to the Bible and forsake the creeds, the doctrines, and the denominations of men. Let's just be Christians and only Christians. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Thanks for tuning in. I pray God blesses you this coming week. Stay safe. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell so you'll be notified every time we post a new video. Thank you. God bless you.